Explode the myths. Explore the truth. Expand your heart to God's presence in your life on Solace Radio. Tonight, I'd like to begin the first part of a five-part presentation that I'll be coming and teaching you in the evenings while we're at Tabernacles that has to do with the subject of the Great Tribulation. And in this five-part series, of which tonight will be the first part to introduce the subject to you and give you a biblical definition for what that's about, it will lead to much more detail and much more detailed teaching about that subject in the five sessions I'll share with you. So let's begin tonight with this first teaching segment. Tonight we're going to have up on the slides for you the presentation that will follow along. And hopefully this will also enhance your ability to cover the material. This first presentation is entitled The Biblical Definition for the Great Tribulation. And as I said to you, this is kind of the introductory session for five actual teachings. Let me just briefly mention what the five are going to be about. First, the definition tonight. In the second session, we're going to talk about what actually begins, what's the beginning part of the Great Tribulation, and what ends the Great Tribulation. What starts it, what ends it. We're going to talk about the key players that are in the Great Tribulation. And these are things you've all heard of, bits and parts and pieces, and we're going to try to survey through them and so that we've got a good biblical definition on each of those as well and what does the prophecy say they do. Finally, we're going to talk about the judgments. And this is a time in the Great Tribulation where God will pour out the judgments described in the book of Revelation. Uh, judgments that somewhat are modeled after the judgments that God poured out upon Egypt when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt in the the exodus from Egypt. And finally, the last portion, the portion you're probably most interested in, is what I entitled The Great Escape. How do we get through this prophesied time called the Great Tribulation? And oh, by the way, let me go ahead and cut to the end. There isn't a rapture who goes before this for you to escape that way. You must go through this and escape it while you're going through. And I have good news for you. The Lord has promised to us this great escape that we will have from it. So that's an overview of the presentations that we'll be doing the five nights. And so let's jump right into the first definition. And I want to give you my definition of my understanding of what the Great Tribulation is. Up, you can follow along as I read to you. The Great Tribulation is the final period of this age whereby one generation will see the abomination of desolation and the anti-Messiah, false prophet, come to power. This period will begin in a late winter and last three and one-half years, concluding in a season of late summer. During this period, the events and judgments of God will be patterned after the Egyptian exodus, and immediately after the Great Tribulation, that three-and-a-half-year period, the resurrection of the saints and the day of the Lord will occur. Therefore, when we define the Great Tribulation... It is the years, months, and days immediately preceding the return of the Messiah and the Messianic Age. Now, as I said to you, that is the definition that I'm putting forth to you, and in the course of the presentations, you'll see how this begins to take shape. Yeshua gave his definition of the Great Tribulation. 
It's specifically in Scripture for us. In Matthew 24, verses 21 through 22, this is Yeshua, how he described it. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever shall. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. Let me just make a comparison for you. The Messiah has said, and the prophets agree with him in describing this, it's a time of distress as the world has never seen before. Now, in the course of us, we can look back at history, and we can see times in the world when the world was in distress. In the previous century, they had World War I, World War II, the Holocaust, the Vietnam War, all of these conflicts that are going on. And the Scripture says very clearly, the Great Tribulation is a time of distress worse than all of those. Worse than the Holocaust? Yes, worse than that. Such as the world has not seen. That is Yeshua's definition of the Great Tribulation. The prophet Daniel, and Daniel and the book of Revelation are two of the dominant books in the Bible that speak of this time, that speak of these prophecies. Daniel's definition of this time is given us in chapter 12 and verse 1, where he says, Now at that time Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time your people, everyone who's found written in the book, will be rescued. That last line you should take note of in particular, because when we get done with this presentation about what the Great Tribulation is about, I want you to remember that the Scripture clearly says, it says that you and I will be rescued from this. That, but we're going to see it, and we're going to be foretold of these events to take place. Now, if you'll note in this particular verse, Daniel alludes to the archangel Michael. Michael normally is stationed on the right hand of the Almighty, uh, extending off to the right of him. But one of his duties is to guard the nation of Israel and the people of Israel. And right now it is understood that he is not at the right hand of the Almighty in the heavens, but rather he is here somewhere at the earth guarding Israel. Now, we don't fully understand all about the dimensions of the angels. It's all part of the teaching of the angelic majesties. But Michael apparently has this task and this role. But there's a time coming, and Daniel speaks of this, in which the Michael will be taken away from the guard duty position of guarding Israel, will be raised up, he will arise, and the book of Revelation says that Michael then returns to heaven, wages war in heaven, and through his forces is required to force Hasatan out of heaven, and he's cast to the earth. And that's when the scripture says that during that time that, that he knows his days are numbered. He knows his days are numbered because the prophecy specifically defines the great tribulation as a period of specific days. And he knows that the end is coming, and he's no longer able to accuse the brethren up before the Father. So with that said about Michael rising up, this is the definition that Daniel gives to it. Obviously, if Michael is no longer guarding the children of Israel here, can you imagine if Hasatan is kicked out of heaven and he's cast back to the earth, 
It ain't going to be good for us. Let me, let me just use that. That's Kansas talk. It ain't going to be good for us. And if the person guarding for us is taken out of the way and the anti-Messiah comes to power, Hasatan's power comes down here, thus part of the definition of the Great Tribulation. In 2 Thessalonians 2, if you'll recall, Paul instructs that when the restrainer is taken out of the way, the restrainer is Michael. Michael is the one who restrains evil from reaching completely to all of the sons of Israel. But if Michael arises to force Hasatan out of heaven, he's no longer guarding this here. Thus, you have the dilemma, the definition of what is called the Great Tribulation. The prophet Isaiah also speaks of the definition of the Great Tribulation in, in chapter 10 and verse 23, where he defines it for a complete destruction, one that is decreed, the Lord of hosts will execute in the midst of the whole land. And obviously the Great Tribulation leads to what we understand to be the day of the Lord, the final judgment upon mortals and upon those here who are the enemies of the Lord. Now, I need to shift gears a little bit. I've given you a basic definition for the Great Tribulation and showed you where Yeshua and some prophets have spoken of it. But the subject of the Tribulation, the subject of the Great Tribulation, is an off-spoken topic, particularly in prophecy books and by other prophecy teachers. However, not everything that you hear from every prophecy teacher about the Great Tribulation necessarily lines up either among themselves or, for that matter, lines up with Scripture. And there is a very, very common misconception about the whole subject of the tribulation, and it has to do with an understanding of some other prophecies that Daniel also speaks of. So in terms of misconceptions, one of the greatest misconceptions is that the period of the tribulation is seven years. Now, you heard me describe the Great Tribulation as being three and a half years. But the more common teaching that is out there is based on seven years. I want to explain to you why that is, why there are teachers who advance that, that idea. It comes from another prophecy in Daniel called the 70 Weeks Prophecy. And a couple of key verses that describe that is in Daniel 9, verse 24, where it says, Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. There's seven things listed there. Seven things. They're all, they all sound wonderful. I mean, wouldn't you like to see the end to sin? I mean, that would be great. And so we have this prophecy that speaks of good things, and men naturally think, well, if you're talking about these great things, it must be after the Lord has returned. You know, the Lord would return and all those good things would be. So that's the jump on that prophecy as somehow, and want to connect it to other prophecies that Daniel speaks of and other prophets speak of the issue at the end of the age, the Great Tribulation. This, the next key prophecy that really homes in on the seven years is when it's talking about the 70th week. There's a series of prophecies I'll show you where the 70 weeks is broken down into 62 weeks, nine weeks, and then there's this one last that totals to 70. So they're referring to this last 
70th week, and a week, of course, to the Hebrew means seven. So this last set of seven, and they assume it to be seven years, um, they use this prophecy, Daniel 9.27, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one that makes desolate. And in here you have a hint of something that you're going to hear a lot of in the course of my presentation, something called the abomination of desolations, which is the actual beginning of the Great Tribulation. And we'll show you the prophecies that that specifically say that. It's from this verse that they try to say the one week, seven, in the middle of the week is this three and a half thing. And uh, this very next chart is going to give you kind of a summary of this is the general belief about the 70 weeks prophecy and how it ties into the Great Tribulation. The 70 weeks that they're saying represent a set of sevens. So if you have 70 times the set of sevens, what they say it really is a prophecy about 490 years. It's a prophecy involving 490 years. The prophecy goes on to say there's 62 weeks plus 7 weeks, that's 69 weeks. The last week of this prophecy is this seven years. And so they immediately assume, well, that's the tribulation, that's the seven years where the tribulation comes into. And it's easy then for them to equate the 70 weeks is about the great tribulation. It is not. The great tribulation has its own individual prophecies defining when it starts and stops. They assume from Jeremiah 30, when Jeremiah is talking about a time of distress called Jacob's trouble, it must be the same thing. Jacob's trouble has many other prophecies associated with it, not necessarily directly associated with the Great Tribulation. And they assume that the Tribulation is seven years long, although the prophecies will tell you specifically it's three and a half years. So how do they explain this? Well, most of these prophecy teachers will develop a diagram similar to the one you're looking at now. It shows the seven-year tribulation with a first period called three and a half years and a second period called the three and a half years. And they say in the first three and a half years, good things will happen. In the last three and a half years, very bad things will happen. And that's what they try to equate as being the great tribulation. They kind of fit it into this model to do that. And then in the middle of this is this event called the abomination of desolation or the cessation of the daily sacrifice, that specific prophecy. Yeshua does not define the Great Tribulation this way. Yeshua just defines the Great Tribulation from tar- starting with the abomination of desolation through the three and a half years, and there's very, very specific prophecies about that three and a half years. I'm not positive that I can tell you exactly what this 70-week prophecy is because there's parts of this prophecy that may still be unfolding. Let me give you a case in point. The next slide. We did have, and it is a historical fact today, we recently saw a seven-year period in which that there was a covenant, a peace agreement made with Israel. It began on September 13th, 1993. It concluded September 13th, 
2000. It began with the Middle East Peace Accord being signed with the famous handshake between Yitzhak Rabin and Yasser Arafat, you remember, on the White House lawn with uh, President Bill Clinton. You remember that famous handshake thing there? And it concluded, that agreement concluded with Ariel Sharon, the former prime minister, going up on the Temple Mount and Arafat announcing essentially annulment or the completion of that agreement, you know, and the, and the second intifada began to take place. Day to day, year to year, on, on the heels of a Rosh Hashanah, there were seven years that we have already watched in which they called those seven years the covenant with death. And they said that that was the peace and security agreement and it lines up with themes and prophecies that would tell us about the end days. And in fact, on the heels of that agreement, the rabbis then announced in that summer of 2000 that we are in the days of Jacob's trouble. Now, those are historical facts, all firmly spoken. Was there a confirmation of the agreement? Yes. In fact, it's a historical fact that when Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated, world leaders came to affirm this agreement at his funeral. And in the prophecy of that he would confirm the agreement for seven years, for one week, we saw those events taking place. And we have seen those words being used and spoken of events in our lifetime, but we weren't in the Great Tribulation yet. And we're still not there yet. But they are events that have taken place with this generation that are leading to this. And in fact, the conclusion of the Middle East Peace Agreement, the one that Rabin and Arafat signed, the words of politicians today, including the Palestinian negotiators and the other negotiators in the Middle East, they now say that whatever happens from here on out since the year 2000, whatever happens, and I'm quoting, will happen in the midst of that agreement, that seven-year agreement. That's what the prophecy said. It said that the abomination of desolation, it said, would happen in the midst of that. Ladies and gentlemen, we are right now in the days in the midst of that agreement. Now, people thought it would be a very specific prophecy. It turned out it was a very abstract prophecy. And it's already happened in front of us. And there's much historical fact and detail associated with it. We have Jacob's trouble. What is Jacob's trouble? It's the conflict with Esau. Jacob wanted to go back into the land with his family, but Esau's threatening him, and he's blocking him from going in and living in the land in peace. That's Jacob's trouble when he has to face down Esau. And you probably heard other teachers, not the least of myself and others, that have talked about the conflict, the overriding conflict in the Middle East between Jacob and Esau, that's the basis of what we call Jacob's trouble. And in the prophecy of Jeremiah 30, it says that is the sign of when the Lord will begin to restore the two houses of Israel. That's when he'll begin to unite the house of Ephraim with the house of Judah. But the house of Judah has to solve that conflict in the land first 
by consuming the enemies that are there to open the door for Ephraim to fully join with Judah in the land. Those prophecies are already taking place. There are many uh, historical things to support us on those as we go through them. And we're still not talking about the start of the Great Tribulation yet. We're still looking for the detailed prophecies associated with it. In Matthew 24 and verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. This is Yeshua's definition, and he's explaining the great tribulation is a specific prophecy of Daniel about the abomination of desolation that is set up. That would be the sign that we're at the great tribulation. He was answering the question of the disciples, what will be the signs of the end and your coming? And he specifically said there's going to be a period of time of great tribulation it will begin with the prophecy of Daniel concerning the abomination of desolation. And in particular, there's two elements that you'll discover that is in there. One is the cessation of the altar. The daily sacrifice in Jerusalem will be up on the altar. And when that stopped, and then a short time later, an image, a statue of the Antimasai is set up also on the, on the Temple Mount, And the combination of those two is what is called the abomination that makes desolation. And it's from those that the Messiah specifically refers to. Here is in Daniel is specifically the prophecy that I believe the Lord was referring to. Daniel 12, verse 11. And from that time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, note this, There will be 1,290 days. 1,290 days equates out to, in similar terms, to about three and a half years. It's not, 1,290 days is not seven years. It's about three and a half years. Um, And that is what the Messiah told us that we should focus in on. Most of the prophecy teachers don't focus on this part. But this is the exact part that the Messiah told us to make sure our definition of the Great Tribulation is all about understanding the abomination of desolation. As I said to you, there are two elements that constitute the definition of the abomination of desolation. One, the stopping of the early and morning lambs, the meal offering and the libation. Moses instructed the priests that... The altar service, once it's ordained, once a bull and a goat is offered on it on seven days, on the eighth day they begin in the morning and they hold an offering in the morning. First thing on the altar, a morning lamb with wine and with a meal offering. And at the conclusion of the day, another lamb is also served up called the evening lamb. All sacrifices, all services that are done on the altar during that day must be between those two sacrifices. It is called the tamid offering. It is called the daily offering. And and you can have an altar service where all you have is that, but you can't not have an altar to the Lord if you don't have that. And stopping either a morning lamb or an evening lamb causes, according to the law, causes that altar to cease to be an altar acceptable to the Lord. Therefore, if the Antimasai comes in or his forces come in and he stops either the morning or the evening sacrifice of that altar, 
that stops that altar. It cannot be used the next day. You can't, you have to take that altar down, you have to rebuild it, rededicate it, and you have to start again. You cannot have a stopping of the daily sacrifice. And these were the duties of the priest to continually maintain that altar for the use by the children of Israel. That, why would the anti-Messiah want to shut down that altar? The reason is because the altar is God's ownership symbol of the whole earth. And that's the dispute between Hasatan and the Lord. The Lord says the earth and all the people in it, they belong to me. Hasatan wants to steal that. He wants to rule over this. He wants to be God of this world. And so thus is the conflict. So why would the anti-Messiah, why would Hasatan want to shut down God's altar? He wants to remove his ownership symbol from the earth. He wants to put it in dispute and conflict as to who owns it. Thus, the meaning or the beginning of the Great Tribulation. If you look back over biblical history of the course of events between man and God, it's always been about altars. It was about altars and a dispute over altars between Cain and Abel, which sacrifice would be acceptable to the Lord. That was the dispute. When Noah ended the flood and he got out of the ark, what's the first thing he did? Built an altar, offered a sacrifice to the Lord as the beginning. When Abraham came into the land for the first time, the promised land, what did he do? He built three altars. He built altars and, and sacrificed and honored the Lord. Again, repeating God's ownership symbol at each station of the way. Who owns this place? Who is the Lord? And the altar is God's table. It's his symbol of where it is his place. I was sharing in the Midrash earlier about the fact that uh, the altar is also like God's table at your own home. And most families do your family business at your family dinner table. It's your family altar where you do business. God does the same with altars for him. And the, the dispute over the altar, the dispute of that is centerpiece in the conflict between Hasatan and the Lord. The setting up the statue of the anti-Messiah is the anti-Messiah's effort to offer an idol, to offer something that's created in opposition to the Lord. And as you'll see in these prophecies that we'll go in through later in the other sessions, one of the duties of the false prophet is to cause that statute to speak, to do miraculous things, to breathe life into it, to command all of the people of the world to bow down to Hasatan, to bow down to the anti-Messiah, claiming through that sign and wonder, he's the real God. And believe you me, the day's coming when the world will go for it. We who are of the faith of the God of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you're going to have this conflict between Hasatan and the Lord. It's going to come center stage, Jerusalem, Israel, and we are going to be present for this event. Thus, the beginning of the great tribulation. The prophets Joel speak of this altar problem. In fact, in Joel chapter 1 and verse 9, you know the prophet Joel talks about the coming of the day of the Lord, blowing the trumpet in Zion, for the day of the Lord is, is near. In the first chapter, he talks about the altar being shut down. Verse 9, he says, The grain offering and the libation, that's the wine offering, are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. He's talking about that day when the altar gets shut down. Verse 13 speaks of the same thing. Gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. 
Come, spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, for the grain offering and the libation are withheld from the house of your God. These are specific prophecies about a future event called the Great Tribulation. These have not yet been done. These are the things that are spoken of that. Now, in the course of defining the Great Tribulation to you, when you go in and find all the evidence, all the scriptures about it, you're going to discover there's a whole series of time measurements given to explain this three and a half years to you. The fact of the matter is, three and a half years is a very abstract measurement, very abstract, as opposed to what we would call a concrete measurement. Abstract means vague and it's kind of nonspecific, but concrete would be very specific, firm. You know, you can put something on that. This, this is what it is. And in the course of the study, when you go through about the Great Tribulation, you're going to find that we have four types of what I call units of measurement. Four types of measurements that are used to talk about all the prophecies of the Great Tribulation. The first one has to do with years, three and a half years. And the key phrase that we find in the prophecy is this expression, a time, times, and half a time. That actually in the Hebrew way of explaining is a year, years, two years, and half of a year. One, two, and a half is three and a half years, the times, years. The second unit of measurement you're going to discover is called months. And there's several prophecies that will talk about 42 months. They'll talk about the two witnesses, and they'll talk about the days that the Antimessiah will come to power and rule is a period of 42 months. And 42 months as a general term, as a vague term, an abstract, seems to equate with three and a half years. It's particularly in a solar calendar, we would say three and a half years is 42 months. But let me remind you that these prophecies are Hebrew prophecies. 42 months isn't necessarily three and a half years in Hebrew time counting. It's slightly different. Certainly not like the solar counting of years. And we'll explain that a little bit further. That's a different specific unit of measure that is given there. The third is in days. And I've already read one prophecy to you that the Great Tribulation is to last 1,290 days. But Daniel also speaks of another day prophecy of 1,335 days, which begs the question, what is the 1,290? What is then the 1,335 days? And the mystery deepens when you find out about the ministry of the two witnesses, particularly in the book of Revelation, because it doesn't repeat 1,290 days. It says there 1,260 days. Those are all specific units of measure describing specific prophecies that fit in what we call the Great Tribulation. They're not all redundant prophecies saying of the same thing. These are now becoming more specific, more concrete, now giving us specific prophecies that are in the Great Tribulation. Finally, the most specific prophecy they have, and yet probably is the most misunderstood time prophecy of the Great Tribulation, is the one called the prophecy of the evenings and mornings, in which that it says there are 2,300 evenings and mornings that begin count from the cessation, cessation of the altar until a certain event happens, and we're not quite sure what it's referring to that it happens. I'm going to give you a little bit more detail. In fact, 
In the next charts, I want to walk you through these four units of measure and show you exactly how they're used so that you have a sense of these different units of measure that we have to all pull together. The first, let's go back to a time, times, and half a time. You'll find this specifically in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. In Daniel chapter 7, he is concluding the great prophecy of what he saw as four great beasts, the history of the world, literally wrapped up in one giant prophecy. But the attention is given in that great prophecy that had to do with Alexander the Great and the Persians and the Medes and the Babylonians and so forth. It comes down to a, this fourth great beast. And the prophecy alludes to at the end of the ages, when the Ancient of Days will be returning in power and glory on the clouds of heaven. And he says, associated with that fourth great beast, he will speak out against the Most High, wear down the saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. And the beast that we're referring to is called the Antimacide this last great world leader who will come and be in great opposition to the Lord of hosts. Thus the great tribulation, the conflict of it. So you see here how you get this three and a half number out of this particular prophecy. Let me look at the months one again. Let me show you the detail of it. In fact, not all the prophecies or months are the same dimension. There are several prophecies that have to do with five months, a period of five months, the final days of the indignation, the final days of the Great Tribulation. And this is the time when there will be darkness on the earth. Darkness that came upon the Egyptians was only three days. Brethren, darkness that's coming in the Great Tribulation is the last five months. Five months of darkness. And like the judgment that happened to the Egyptians, first there were locusts and then there was darkness, in the course of this prophecy for us, it's locust, demons, and darkness all at the same time, according to the book of Revelation. There's a five-month prophecy associated with this. The, the other times that we'll hear is the 42-month prophecy that talks about the ministry of the two witnesses and how the temple mount will be tread down, and specifically about how uh, when the abomination of desolation takes place, that the temple mount will be you know, trotted over back and forth uh, by uh, those who are not of the Jews, not of the priests, not those serving the temple, but by just anyone. And it says the temple mount will be tread down for this 42 months. In the same time period, the two witnesses are prophesying on either side of a cold altar. And finally, 42 months is the dimension given in Revelation 13.5 for the period of time the Messiah rules and in that same period of time. 42 months again. Let me repeat this statement to you again. 1,260 days does not equal 42 months by the Hebrew calendar. They're not the same dimension. This is a specific prophecy in which the unit of measure of months is being used. Now, let me kind of equate this to you just a little bit so you understand it's important that we continue to keep the unit of measure that the Scripture gives us and don't be slurring them too much together because it will produce error. If I were to say to you specifically that this particular distance, say, of the area before us is specifically a distance of 40 meters, it would not mean the same thing as 40 yards, would it? Those are two different units of measure. 
And in the scriptures, when it says something is 42 months, leave it at 42 months. Just let that measurement be there. It will work. Don't try to equate it over and put everything in days or years or whatever, because you need to follow exactly the unit of measure um, that is given by the Scripture. And I want to offer that to you as a paramount principle in the study of the Great Tribulation. Leave the units of measure exactly as the Lord has said. Otherwise, you'll get confused and befuddled, and you'll end up with weird conclusions about the sequence of events. But by keeping them exactly in the same unit of measure, it will lead you correctly. In the case of the unit of measure of days, we have three different measurements given to us. There are prophecies associated with the 1260 days, prophecies associated with 1290 days, and finally a prophecy associated with 1335 days. In the case of 1260 days, it has to do with Matthew 24 and Revelation 12, specifically about those tribulation saints that are in the land of Israel, specifically in Judea, when they will escape at the abomination of desolation, how they will be cared for. That's a very specific prophecy about not believers in Samaria or the Negev or over in the Sharon Valley. It's talking about those in Judea when they escape. And it says that they will be nurtured for 1260 days when they escape from that location. And those are associated with the setting up of the image, the second part of the abomination of desolation. The two witnesses that will be in Jerusalem that will go up onto the Temple Mount, they will prophesy for 1260 days. Now, we believe that 1260 days here and that of Israel escaping are essentially one and the same. It's the same dimension. They use the same marker. Uh, same dimension uh, to start the count of the 1260 days. But they're two separate specific prophecies. But just because the two witnesses are prophesying for 1260 days, that doesn't mean that's the dime period of the Great Tribulation. In fact, the one prophecy that tells us the length of the Great Tribulation is the third one, which is 1290 days. 1290 days from the start of the shutdown of the altar until the Great Tribulation is over, 1290 days. That's definitely more than 42 months. Furthermore, it equates there in Daniel's prophecy as it concludes, and it says, but blessed is he who sees the 1335th day. So you have 30 days more than the 1260 prophecy, 45 days more than the distance of the Great Tribulation. Why would there be a dimension that would be greater than the Great Tribulation talking about the Great Tribulation? Well, the reason has to do with there's something called the days immediately after the Tribulation. Those happen to be the most significant days of this whole subject, when the sign of the Son of Man appears and so forth, and a fulfillment of a whole series of things. I'll elaborate on that in just a moment, a little bit further. But let's look at the last dimension, the detailed dimension of evenings and mornings, the prophecy of that. Let me read to you this prophecy that comes from Daniel that gives this dimension. And the way this is given is very unique. Rather than he just gives it to Daniel and Daniel gives it to us, the Lord sets up something very special here in which that he allows Daniel to overhear another conversation. You know, whenever you hear those kinds of things, they really get your attention. It's the way the Lord really wanted Daniel to focus in. 
Daniel actually heard a conversation going on between a couple of angels. And so he kind of listened in to get the information. Here's what was said. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that particular one who was speaking, How long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply while the transgression causes horror so as to allow both the holy place and the host to be trampled? The great tribulation. And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. Most of your Bibles, the translators didn't know what to do with this. In the Hebrew, it actually says, for 2,300 Erev and Boker, evenings and mornings. But most Bibles translate this into days. And so, there's a, they, in some Bibles, it reads, for 2,300 days, then the holy place will be restored. But in the Hebrew, it's definitely evenings and mornings. It's a whole different unit of measure. And there's a mystery associated with this. In fact, in the same chapter in Daniel 8, and I'll show you this in much greater detail when we go into the details of the time prophecy, it says this vision about the evenings and mornings, the 2300 evenings and mornings, is sealed up until the time of the end. It's a very intriguing prophecy. What I hope to show you in the course of our presentations here, you're going to break the code on what this prophecy is about and it's going to show you the, one of the most significant events, exactly when one of the most significant events will happen, the Great Tribulation. And with the understanding of when that event happens, you can go before or after it and lay out all the judgments in the book of Revelation and have a sense of when they occur during the three and a half years. Which, by the way, follows along with the promise of the book of Revelation to show to his bondservants the things that are shortly to take place so that you might receive a blessing from this book. How would you like to go through the Great Tribulation as a tribulation saint? No, I know you don't want to do that, but let's go with me for a moment. Let's say you're a Great Tribulation saint, but how would you like to go through it in which that you know every key judgment and every key event that's going to take place and you almost know it down to the day, the month, and the season? Would that help you to get through the Great Tribulation? Would that help you to understand how to do it? God has given those things to us for expressly so that we will understand so we can be in agreement with His plan. Now, I mentioned to you before the two dimensions, 1290 and 1335. This is the way the Bible defines the Great Tribulation. It sets the stage for a period of time that Yeshua referred to specifically this in Matthew 24, 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. He's talking about there's a period of time immediately after the tribulation in which that all of the events of the coming of the Lord, the sign of His coming, the day of the Lord, the resurrection, the rapture, all of those events... They all fall into that 45 days. That pattern of those 45 days lines up with something else that you're familiar with, which is another over, overarching teaching about the second coming, and that is the feasts of the Lord. The fact is that is we are right now in the Feast of Tabernacles. If we count back some 45 days, when was it? It was the first of a lull, the last month the last month of the year. 
Elul are called the first of Elul leading up to Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruah, and Yom Kippur, the day of the Lord, are called the days of repentance. The Feast of Trumpets is a prophetic picture of the sounding of the trumpet of the Lord, the resurrection of the saints, the Lord gathering the holy convocation of all of his people to him in the clouds. He's coming in the clouds. We'll see the sign of him in the clouds. He blows the trumpet. We all get gathered up, even those asleep in the Lord. The resurrection, the rapture, we're all gathered up. Ten days later, day of the Lord, day of atonement. So what day would be five days after that? That would be a very happy day. That would be a blessed day. Blessed is he who sees the 1335th day after the abomination of desolation begins. Blessed is he who sees this all the way to the end. The Lord has returned and we're now with the Lord in the kingdom. That's the blessed day. By the way, that is a powerful clue to you about how the great tribulation begins and ends. And it has to do with the times, the seasons, and the years. Do you remember the Apostle Paul there in First Thessalonians 5 when he said, Now concerning the seasons, the epochs, and the times of the Lord, you have no more need to be said to you, for you yourselves know this. How is it that you know the years and the times and the seasons of the great tribulation? By keeping the biblical feasts of the Lord. Passover is in the springtime. Tabernacles is in the fall. It happens every year. And if the Lord is going to come back and fulfill at the end of a great tribulation, he's going to come back to the earth and fulfill all of these prophecies. And we know that we're going to see the Feast of Trumpets, and we're going to see the Day of Atonement, and we're going to see Tabernacles, and that's when he comes back. Then you can count up for yourself the great tribulation, the three and a half years, and it's going to take you back three and a half revolutions back to the late winter, early spring of the previous years. Therefore, you know the seasons of the great tribulation and you know the times. There's three and three years, a time, times, and half a time. That's your basic definition of what we call the great tribulation. And in the course of the fulfillment of uh, trumpets, you're going to have the resurrection and the rapture. In the fulfillment of Yom Kippur, you'll have the day of the Lord. And in the keeping of the Feast of Tabernacles, it's the beginning of the Messianic kingdom. Those are the events in the last 45 days that is described in this prophecy. Now, what I just gave to you was a whole bunch of dimensions and a whole bunch of information. And I would expect you're sitting there going... My, that was a fascinating presentation, and Monty certainly tried to help us by putting the slides up there, but I still don't get it. Well, good news for you. I have brought for you, each one of you to receive, uh, at the conclusion of this presentation, there is a two-dimensional representation of every one of the teachings and prophecies I'm going to give you about the Great Tribulation this week. And over on this chart, it shows the events that start the Great Tribulation, what happens in the Great Tribulation, and here's the days immediately after the Tribulation. And it's going to lay out every prophecy with reference that we're going to go through and talk about in these five sessions. So what have I really explained to you? What this chart is. This is the prophecies of the Great Tribulation. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
again. And Lord, I would pray for your Holy Spirit to grant uh, knowledge and understanding, Lord, and in particular to pour out your understanding on the brethren. We know, Lord, that the Great Tribulation is a very, very important prophecy. It has many, many details associated with it. I would pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would give clarity of mind to each person who's receiving this instruction. Lord, that they would be able to repeat in simple terms, what is the Great Tribulation? How does it begin? How does it end? What are the key things that will happen in it? Because these are things that will be happening to all of us, Lord. You have told us that you've told all these things beforehand so that we might believe in you. And I would pray, Lord, that in the course of these teachings and so forth, that it not be taken as a, a quote, impressive topic of lots of knowledge and details. Instead, Lord, that you would use this to provoke within the heart of every person who hears this to reach out and call upon your name to be delivered. And that each person would then begin to put their weight and trust in you for the deliverance of the great escape and the great tribulation. And I pray this in the name of Yeshua, our coming King. Amen. Talk Radio's red-headed stepchild, Solace Radio. We go where no talk radio has gone before.